0: As some of you may know, I've got a book coming out and it's called Saving the Planet Without the Bullshit. Sticking to that theme, if you see anybody with the title Head of Sustainability or Head of ESG, mentally replace both words by the word bullshit, therefore they're head of bullshit, until proven otherwise. And that is particularly the case. If they work in, obviously, oil, gas, and coal, but also utilities or mining companies or commodity firms or shipping firms or airlines, for example, you get my drift. Because in our race to move to 100% renewables and to stop deforestation, we have a very powerful opponent intent on focusing on short-term profits everyone be damned and that opponent has built one of history's most powerful and wealthy propaganda machines and that machine has touched all these sectors that i just mentioned it has in a way overtaken their ESG, and their sustainability strategies. And that is what this episode is about. I'm of course talking about the fossil fuel industry, that is your friendly oil, gas, and coal companies worldwide. They play the long game. They obfuscate. And now they're using increasingly sophisticated methods and techniques. And frankly, you could literally write an encyclopedia if you catalogue all of these methods and techniques. Now, occasionally on this podcast, I've catalogued many of them. And today, I want to catalogue a couple of their more sophisticated forms of greenwashing. Now, here's the general formula that they follow. First, accept there is a problem because... That makes you look like a good guy. Then pretend you're trying to help solve it because that makes you look even better. But meanwhile, come up with strategies that actually make the problem worse. And when you've done that, make sure that you're socializing the costs and liabilities. So make sure society is paying for the costs and for the liabilities. But, privatize the profits. Welcome to episode 64 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy, with me, Asad Razouk. I am so happy you're here, thank you. I want to talk principally about two major sophisticated greenwashing techniques. Both accompanied by massive propaganda. The first one is when an oil company makes an announcement about having built a renewable energy project. But when you look through the headlines and all the media that's just picked up the press release, you discover that in fact that renewable energy project is being used to power, protect, or expand fossil fuels. And I'm going to give you two recent examples of just that. About a week ago, there was an announcement picked up by the media that said Shell, the oil company, is to build Europe's largest renewable hydrogen plant. So that's the announcement. And you'd think, yes, that's great. And by the way, while you're looking at that announcement on outlets like CNBC, right on your screen, you will see ad by Total Energies showing hydrogen, biomass, wind, solar as part of its kit because it, Total, is reinventing itself. You can see the juxtaposition here. So Total is... Leveraging Shell announcements by advertising right next to them on global media to just basically bury us with bad information. But let's go back to Shell. When you actually look at their announcement, what you see is that in fact, this large renewable hydrogen plant is there to help power a Dutch refinery. And speaking of being Europe's largest, then you discover that actually it's not that large, whereas the headline emphasis is on how Shell is helping effectively scale green hydrogen in Europe. But that green hydrogen is then being funneled to the Shell Energy and Chemicals Park in Rotterdam to replace some of the hydrogen produced from natural gas that this refinery is using. And according to Shell, this is great because it will partially decarbonize the facility's production of energy products like petrol and diesel and jet fuel. So what we're supposed to take away from this is that Shell is helping us help ourselves by making some efforts to sell us petrol, diesel, and jet fuel, which is somehow decarbonized somewhere in its production cycle. And that's just terrible. It's terrible because what Shell should be doing in order to stick to its own net zero pronouncement is actually coming up with plans as to how it's going to replace its petrol and diesel and jet fuel by other technologies in order to go not net zero but zero carbon itself. But of course, it's not doing that at all. Instead, it's actually promoting the use of more petrol and more diesel and more jet fuel by pretending that suddenly that very same petrol, diesel, and jet fuel looks somehow better because a tiny proportion of how it was produced came from green hydrogen. And on top, that hydrogen is not actually replacing anything because they're going to take the gas that they used to use to produce gray hydrogen for that very same refinery and they're just going to sell it to someone else, aren't they? So you get the joke, right? I can just imagine a scene at Shell where a bunch of people are sitting at a cafeteria just laughing their heads off while selling us this beautiful greenwashing, and Shell is not alone. Equinor, Norway's oil giant, did the same thing a couple of months ago. It announced that it's building the world's largest offshore floating wind farm. Notice again how the word largest has to somehow make it into these press releases, except that world's largest offshore floating wind farm is in fact being built to power oil and gas fields whose life was extended, who, in other words, shouldn't even have been there anymore. So the world's largest floating wind farm is in fact very small, because the emphasis in that sentence is on the word floating, Floating wind farms are a new, new thing. It's 88 megawatts. It's basically 11 wind turbines. It's located off of Norway's coast. And the entire capacity of these 88 megawatts is used to partially, partially meet the energy demands of two of Equinor's offshore oil and gas fields. Ironically, as I said before, these offshore oil and gas fields should have been closed by now. And so what is Equinor doing? It's making a big announcement that it is investing in a, in fact, tiny, tiny project, which is green. And it's doing that because it's hiding a very big, much larger project, which is not only a polluting project, but which it's also keeping open for longer than it should. So the key problem really in the Shell example that I gave and the Equinor example that I gave is that they think we are idiots. I can't get my head around these examples without coming to that conclusion. I really can't. And so Keep your eyes and ears open to this new form of greenwashing where an oil and gas company announces a renewable energy project and then look through and see why they're actually doing it and what they are trying to hide. Now, there's another sophisticated greenwashing method making the rounds, and it's been beautifully labeled carbon management. So you need to be very suspicious if you hear the words carbon management coming out of any utility or oil or gas or coal company, or for that matter, government. Carbon management basically includes two things. One of them is called carbon capture and sequestration, and the second one is called direct air capture. They're really both about capturing carbon dioxide, so pollution. Carbon capture and sequestration is about capturing that pollution as it emerges from smokestacks, either from power plants or industrial sources. And then direct air capture is even more fantastical because it's about literally capturing CO2 from the air. Now, these two for decades now, especially carbon capture and sequestration, have been wonderful for the oil, gas, coal, and power industries. Why? Because they use them to attract government subsidies, then they use these subsidies to build, basically, projects that don't work, all the while protecting the underlying projects that are generating all that pollution. In the last 10 years, for example, $7 billion was lavished in subsidies to big oil in the United States alone for pretend carbon capture and storage projects. And Shell, plus ExxonMobil, pocketed $2.4 billion in subsidies for a carbon capture, pretend, and storage project in Rotterdam. And these are basically just an excellent distraction from the need that we have to actually phase out our use of oil, gas, and coal. And they're a distraction because of what I said earlier. right? So you take a subsidy, you say, I'm going to stop my power plant or my refinery or whatever it is from polluting. You then spend billions building a solution that doesn't work, but meanwhile, your underlying plant is polluting at will. So, to stay with carbon capture and storage first, before I turn to direct air capture, carbon capture and storage, or CCS, is used in power stations or in industrial stations. Now. After all this talk and all these decades of spending money on CCS, there are only two power stations in the world that are listed by the International Energy Agency with carbon capture and storage capabilities. Seven large-scale ones were attempted at U.S. power plants and each with hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidies, and every single one of them did not work. As an example, there was a billion-dollar project at a coal and gas power station in Texas that was suspended in 2020 because it didn't work. But remember, the game that's really being played here, it's not about this thing working anyway. It's about the underlying coal and gas power station continuing to pollute during all those years that that pretend CCS project is being built. And from my research, the only operating CCS project at a power plant anywhere in the entire world is in Canada, and it's a failure. Now, this is actually a bit more insidious than it sounds, because not only are these projects not capturing any carbon to speak of, that little carbon that's being captured is then used to extract more oil from wells through a process called enhanced oil recovery, because they take that CO two and they inject it in oil fields to push additional oil up to the production wellbore. So. You have to follow the con. One, I have a polluting coal or gas power plant. I go to government and I say, guess what? I have a magical solution which will allow me to capture the CO2 pollution from my power plant. But could I please have a couple of billion dollars to build it because it's good for society? Then I get those $2 billion and I fail to build it. But I spent five to ten years trying to. with Taxpayers' money. And so then what happens? In those five to 10 years, I've operated my coal or gas power plant without any consequences. Now, then, if I happened to capture any CO2, because even failed projects can capture some, I would have taken it to extract more oil, which I could not have extracted without it. I mean, how crazy is that we, society, are giving big oil money to pretend that they're capturing CO2 at a scale which is inexistent. Then they're using whatever CO2 they get their hands on to extract more oil. Carbon capture and storage proponents need to just simply be called out. It doesn't work. And even if it did, it only prolongs the use of assets that we need to phase out. And if you look at carbon capture and storage in industrial facilities, as opposed to power plants, you will come to the same conclusion. So, one of the largest attempts to capture carbon during hydrogen production, for example, again, by the very same people at Shell, that project was in Alberta, Canada, emitted more greenhouse gases than it captured. I mean, need I say more? And every single one of about a dozen CCS projects in industrial facilities uses the captured carbon for enhanced oil recovery. And I'm sure you can guess that however you model the full life cycle of what's going on, all of this is actually putting more carbon dioxide into the air than it removes. So, the combination of this pretend CCS on top of fossil fuel projects and the energy that they need is actually increasing pollution 3.7 to 4.7 times. And that's about all you need to know about carbon capture and storage. The second component under this carbon management umbrella that I mentioned is called direct air capture. And that's even crazier because apparently this is some kind of fantastical technology that will directly remove carbon dioxide from the air. And that one has a lot of hot air behind it. Because oil companies, like Occidental Petroleum, have built their entire net zero strategy on direct air capture. In other words, they're saying, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, but you know what, don't worry. We're just going to suck all the pollution out of the air magically through direct air capture systems. And please give us a few billions in order for us to do so, because we're doing you, society, a favor. Now, again, when you scratch the surface, you see a huge problem with these systems. And that is their incredibly large energy requirements. So in other words, you have to pollute even more to make them work to capture very little. Net-net, you've made things far worse. Because ironically, the only type of direct air capture system in relatively large scale development right now, so today, has to be powered, of course, by a fossil fuel. Because these guys are just very good at greenwashing. So they came up with a solution that actually doesn't work unless it's powered by their own products. And even then, of course, we have to spend billions once we get it working to actually see exactly what it can achieve. And the scale of what I'm talking about here in terms of greenwashing is crazy. There is a US National Academies of Sciences study of direct air capture. And it shows that if you want to capture one gigaton of CO2 per year, and I'll come back and put that in perspective, so To capture one gigaton of carbon dioxide per year, this type of direct air capture system would require almost as much electricity as was generated in the entire United States in 2020. And then, of course, even if we were able to do that, which as you can see is impossible, we would then see that the oil and gas companies used the capture carbon dioxide to, you guessed it, generate even more oil through enhanced oil recovery techniques. So through injecting it in oil fields. So annual CO2 emissions are about 50 gigatons. And so just that one gigaton would require all of the electricity of the United States to make it work, which is unproven. And even if it did, it would just make things worse, because all that CO2 would go to generate even more oil. And of course, one gigaton isn't going to feature, because we need to decarbonize, and our annual global carbon emissions are 50 gigatons. Now, there are other equally fantastical direct air capture systems, but none of these, to my knowledge, have scaled up beyond pilots. But the beautiful thing about direct air capture is that it's a call to arms by oil, gas, and coal companies like Occidental Petroleum because it allows them to ask for zillions and zillions of dollars in subsidies to prove something over decades when we have no time for that whatsoever, but it provides cover for them to continue doing what they're doing and therefore make the entire climate crisis far worse than it is today. To make any of this direct air capture stuff happen, you'd have to spend $5 trillion a year, and even then, you would not know whether it's working or not. That's $5 trillion a year. This greenwashing has to be called out, because... We have to forget about fantasy solutions, which we do not have time or money for. They divert much-needed dollars or euros or pounds or remnibis away from proven solutions that work. In other words, 100% renewable energy systems and fighting deforestation. That's what every available dollar or euro or pound or remnebi has to go towards. I hope you can see now the game being played by the enablers of these sophisticated greenwashing techniques. It's trick, divert attention, obfuscate, hide, pretend, while making sure that you keep doing exactly what you've been doing in terms of digging more fossil fuels out and then burning them. There are two fantastic clean energy developments that have occurred over the past couple of weeks, amongst many more that I catalog in my Twitter feed, in particular through a Good Climate News of the Week tweet that I send on weekends. The first one is in the UK. The UK runs an auction for new clean energy providers and revealed numbers recently that were very very impressive. Some seven gigawatts of new offshore wind capacity is being lined up to provide power for about 25 percent, 25 percent of the current price of generating electricity from gas. And once all the projects that were approved at that auction are built they will generate roughly enough to meet 13% of current UK demand. And what that means is they will save consumers billions of pounds and cut consumers' electricity bills by material amounts. And you know what the best bit is? They're all pretty much subsidy-free. Now, think about that greenwashing that I talked about earlier. Now, think about this. Why should we be diverting money away from accelerating this type of auction result? The other super interesting development was from Australia. So, Australia's main scientific body and Australia's energy market operator issued a report which said super clearly, that integrated wind and solar, so that's wind and solar, including the cost of storage and transmission, is by far the cheapest source of new electricity generation in Australia. And that, by the way, is the case pretty much everywhere around the world. Now, this report that was issued is important because it underlined the fact that this integrated wind and solar, including storage and transmission, is the cheapest form of generation all the way up to 90% share of total generation. And then from 90%, you basically plug in other renewables, for example, hydropower, biomass, or green hydrogen, to get to 100%. And that's not me saying that. That's Australia's main scientific body, and Australia's energy market operator. So once again, we have to ask the question, why are we giving a penny in subsidies to oil, gas, and coal to allow them to greenwash their way into more oil, gas, and coal when we can instead vastly accelerate renewable energy deployment around the world? And on that note, thank you very much for listening to this episode 64 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy with me, Asad Razouk, and have a great couple of weeks.